You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Whether you need a battery for your truck or batteries for your trail cameras, Interstate Batteries has the batteries for your everyday life. Stop into a local retail location. They have thousands upon thousands of them all over the United States. Or go and visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast. Tonight we've got Paul and Corey in the house, and we are uh, we're gonna go around the table here a little real quick, give you a rundown what we've been up to this week, and then get you some news, and then we've got a, a guest for us. So, uh, Paul, what you been up to this week? Oh man, I have just been working like crazy. So no fun this week. We we're I was off for two weeks. Uh, the Rona. Rolled in the camp, yeah. Rolled into the Campbell household for for a while. Nothing, nothing major, uh, but but I was shut down. My wife, kids were all home for two weeks, and work just like piled up, man. And and, well, and you just started crazy. that new job. So, you just started that new job. Yeah, so I'm sure I saw, that really yeah, helped. I, I started this new job. And I just I just got into like the swing of things, and you know meeting all my all my customers. And I, and I cover like four state territories, so I do I do a lot of traveling, and it just totally took all my momentum away. And, uh, so I'm just trying to, trying to dig out. I, um, you guys have talked me into, into bow hunting more. So I took my, my bow to a shop, a local, a local bow shop here. And I'm having a, a new string put on and, uh, it was a single, I bought a single pin site years ago. I love it. But, uh, the whole thing like fell off and you know, I, I, I haven't shot this bow in like five years. So, so you've got a no, it's not going to work. And no yeah, pin so site. yeah, I've got I've got a no a no pin site, so we're gonna get that get get that. Put He's back about thirty three. Sounds good to me. Yeah, so I'm 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 looking forward to today is Thursday, October seventh, uh, and two days fall turkey season opens up. So I am going to be chasing some wild turkeys finally. So good, Corey. Yeah. What are you, what have you been up to? Uh about the same whole lot of work still building your fence yeah it's coming along it's almost done i gotta put a gate on it and then it's gonna be done um so not too much to, to worry about there but just work it's been real rainy up here this whole week really real doom and gloom type weather right well that's uh that's the same story down here in uh, central ohio so uh said it. Everyone uh, columbus all you right central it. ohio yeah, it's all the same right it. uh no oh my gosh man it is october 7th as paul said i don't know what day this will air but the uh the weather pattern has been awful i this is this is killing me and i got to sit up in the tree in a thunderstorm the other day for the first time and let me just tell you i'm not a fan of lightning to begin with so that that was interesting uh it was a nasty one too that rolled through. I, I I watched it on the radio or on the radar. It's like, oh god, that's had it right for months. I, I watched. How fast that. did you discover you could get down? Well, I okay. I watched that that storm come up seventy one, and of course, the whole time it's coming, there's no lightning on the radar. I got the little lightning detector and everything. Nothing. About 
I don't know, 20 miles before it's going to hit me, all of a sudden the lightning starts and I'm like, no, but, uh, no, I, I got out of that tree real fast and I left everything hang up there until I could uh, get back up. Needless to say, I didn't see any deer that night. So, uh, I'm doing my best to try not burn out my spots and, uh, I'm getting very antsy and it needs to get colder. So, uh, that's where we're at with that. As far as news goes around the state, uh, actually today was a pretty big day. Paul, you want to tell us about that? It is a really big day. So back in the, in the spring, the department of natural resources and the department of wildlife had, um, public forums about, uh, in, in regards to the, the wild Turkey permit uh, bag limits for 2022. And so there are a couple, uh, you know, town hall meetings, if you will, where, where, um, where hunters could go and voice their opinions on, on the, uh, the bag limits. Well, today the, the department of natural resources released the bag limits for 2022 will be one bearded Turkey per hunter. So from, and, and this is just my understanding and we have actually, we're going to have, um, uh, we're trying to get the state wildlife biologist that helped write this policy uh, on the program. I think it's going to work out. Hopefully we'll have that in the next couple of weeks. Um, but from my understanding, you know, we've seen a decrease in harvest numbers over the last couple of years. And that's kind of how the state gauges uh, the, the overall wild turkey population is based off of those, those harvest numbers. And I'm sure there's a bunch of other um, you know, metrics to, to, to measure that. But we've seen a decrease in the wild turkey population in the state of Ohio. And, you know, if, I don't know, there's something near and dear to my heart. You, if you look at like grouse population in the state of Ohio, grouse have disappeared. I mean, the, that, that bird is gone. And, and the, the grouse is a cousin of the wild turkey. So, you know, we could see, theoretically, we could see the same type of disappearance and the same type of habitat destruction and population decline that we've seen with the grouse with the wild turkey so you know i've got some really big opinions about this i will save this uh for another episode but that is what is out there right now um i would love to hear listener feedback uh on on this topic um questions for the state wildlife biologist send them in uh you can find us on twitter at ohio hunt you can find us on instagram at what is oh it? <clears throat> you asked me too fast. Hang on. Uh, the, All the good Instagram names were taken. Right. We had to modify a little bit too. So this is different from last time. It's the period O2 period podcast. And then yeah. we do have an email. It's Ohio Outdoors Podcast at gmail.com. So or yeah. the website. And you can find me personally. I'm I'm real active on Twitter at Paul Campbell322, I think. I don't know. Um uh, I don't know. It's, it's, this is a big, it's a big deal. I think for the state of Ohio, um, for Turkey hunting, I, this is definitely a big picture, uh, move here. I personally have a ton of questions and I'm sure a lot of our Turkey hunter listeners will have a lot of questions and a lot of opinions. We're going to talk about that. So today's not the day, but that's definitely the, the big news for, for, uh, October 7th. Very good. Thank you, Paul. Uh, other things on the news front, we have, um, let's see here, the Ohio muskie fishing uh, stocking of the different ponds and lakes and water, bodies of water around Ohio. So we've got Allen Creek, Caesar Creek, 
Clear Fork, CJ Brown Reservoir, uh, Lake Milton, Leesville Lake, Piedmont Lake, uh, Pimatooning Lake. Sorry, guys. That was bad. Salt Fork Reservoir. Pimatooning. There you go. Uh, West Branch Reservoir. 20,000 muskies put out there. So something to look forward to down yeah, the road. Eight but. to 12 inches. So yeah, good. That's a good, uh, the same, and, in my opinion, they, they, they do like, I feel like they do a pretty decent job with the fish hatcheries and, and stocking some of these, uh, inland, inland impediments or impondments or whatever the hell they, they call them. So now I'm happy to hear that. Then as far as, uh, what's in season, obviously deer, uh, as Paul alluded to, you know, October 9th is when fall turkey will start and go until November 28th. And then there's all kinds of stuff. Man. One yeah. bird per hunter, male or female. So there you go. Um, lots duck of small comes game. In. Yep. Duck comes in. Duck and goose. First split is October 23rd. Kids, get ready for that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you, could, you could tell who the duck and goose hunter is. <laughs> so, I'm ready, wah, man. Wah, wah. We, uh, I am ready. I'll t- I'll, I, I talked about this really on the last episode. I ordered a I ordered a new duck call. Oh, yeah. And, about the hipster duck caller. Yeah. Don't start. Um, <laughs> So I ordered from this website and I, I tried to help like the little guy out, you know, and um, so I ordered from the small company and got this really nice, really nice call. And they never emailed me like a shipping date or like confirmation, you know, so a week goes up. by. No, no, I wish it did. A week goes by. So I call yesterday, I call this and, and I talked to this lady. And it was like total inconvenience. I was like, yo, I was like, you guys charge me $20 for shipping. I was like, well, just tell me when it's going to be. It'll be here. It'll, it'll be guaranteed there tomorrow. Well, today is tomorrow. Still isn't here. So. Some frustration and anger. Well, my duck call, man. I hear you. I get it. So, um, Let's see what else. Squirrels in, rough grouse mm-hmm. on public lands and private lands on October 9th. So. Now, I think rough grouse and someone I, and I'm not trying to have the book in front of me, but that's only like certain counties, isn't it? Or is it statewide? Check your regulations guide. Let's just say that. <clears throat> yeah. Before we get into that. So yes, and there there's a handful of other things, but check your regulation guides. We got to we're getting in the swing of things, folks. So uh, things look good. So today we are going to get into our the meat of our podcast of our talk and we've got a special guest uh mr mike rex uh paul do you want to give us a little rundown on mike and what exactly why he's special yeah so mike is uh, a resident of southern ohio he's down in uh southeast county um just a really really good guy um very accomplished bow hunter he is a member of the big bug club he's got 20 entrance entries to his name uh, more over 20 entries. Uh, so big buck uh, entry is any typical that scores over 140, any non-typical that scores over 160 with any um, hunting implement. Um, his family has over 40 combined Pope and Young entries to their name. Um, Mike has scored a big buck club entry every year since 2004. He has a, uh, a record for that year of a typical deer or non-typical deer excuse me 218 and six eights was the score for that deer so mike has seen it all he he's been hunting for 
longer than a lot of us listening to the show have been alive. And he is just really good. He has a wealth of knowledge. Um, I think that people are really going to enjoy this interview. I want him to be a friend of the program. I'd love to just pick his brain on, I mean, just really dive deep. Uh, yeah, I'd listen to him talk it, for so. hours. He's got you so could. much knowledge. You could. Yeah, I, I really I really feel strongly that, that people are going to like this interview. You're going to like him as a person. I mean, he's just salt of the earth and and he's just a good dude. Good and dude. when you get when you get people that are good, they're 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 good people and they're really good at, at deer hunting. I mean, listen to them, learn from them. And uh, I think I think we try to accomplish that with this with this interview. So you can tell he really enjoys talking about deer and deer hunting when yeah, he talks. He, yeah, he knows so much. We're going to get him back on because there there's a couple a couple questions that I have that I really want to spend some time on. So he's kind of a big deal as far as bow hunting in Ohio goes. So uh, for sure, he's one of the best. I mean, if you, if you look at, I mean, if you're talking about just taking taking mature white-tailed deer. He is, without a doubt, one of the best in the last, like, 40, 45 years. And, and there's yeah. no arguing that. And you have to respect that. So, All right. Well, here is our uh, interview with Mr. Mike Rex. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. See you. joined with Ohio resident Mike Rex. Uh, Mike, I think might be the most accomplished bow hunter in the state of Ohio. Uh, definitely top 10 in the country. If I had to guess, Mike, would you agree with that? Talk you up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Stay humble. Country, but, but I've been hunting a long time. Yeah. How long have you been in this? Uh, I started bow hunting 1978. Oh, wow. That was before bow hunting was cool. <laughs> yeah. It's as a boy uh good good deal so mike just uh just a couple quick questions you know before before we dive in this just tell us a little bit about yourself you know what you do for a living family um just just basics you know just get let us get to know you let the audience get to know you and sure i'm uh i'm semi-retired i worked most of my career in the chemical business industrial chemicals I now own uh, four marinas. I rent boats, so work seasonally. Uh, it's a family business. We also have some cabins that we rent. Uh, my oldest son runs one of the marinas, uh, so that's you know that's pretty much it. Now I, I stepped away from the chemical business about three years ago. I've got uh, three boys that are all very avid hunters. They're all probably your age in their mid to late twenties. Um, actually, they're probably more avid than I am. And uh, a, lot, a lot of the enthusiasm that I have for hunting now, I sort of channel into them uh, because I've, you know, I've been doing it for so long that, that it's still a bunch of fun. I still enjoy it, but I get more enjoyment out of seeing them succeed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can, I can imagine it's, it's probably been pretty neat watching them grow up and, and become accomplished bow hunters in their own right. So it, it is, it's, I, I tell people that you really find out how much you love your kids when you've got one really hot stand and you're sitting in the truck waiting to pick one up. <laughs> uh, that's good. That's good stuff, man. I, at, uh, I, I, I have a son that, that, you know, he, he hunts a lot with me and, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm the same way. I want to see him be successful and you know, you'd, you'd pass up opportunities that you get just for, just for your kids. So sure. um, no, that's, that's good stuff. So I really, I really want to, the first topic I want to go over, Mike, 
is I want to I want to understand kind of your process that that you take um, to being a, an ultra successful bow hunter in the state. So. Yeah, it's like if, if you played sports as a kid, everyone knows that your know, championships, especially play football, championships are won, you know, July and August, or you know, they're won during two days. When you know, when you put that effort in, um, by the offensive of the line, game, it's, they're won by that? the offensive line. That's where. That's the, right. Yeah, right. that's that's where. Hey, man, that's you're speaking <laughs> my language there. So, sorry. But, yeah, I, I I've kind of equate that, and, and tell me if I'm wrong here. I kind of equate those same things. The, the, the bow hunters, the, just the hunters in general that, that are really successful, they do the small things really well. They put a lot of effort into, into hunting in the months that are kind of, you know, June, July, August. So what, you know, what, what do you do during the summer to prepare for deer season? I mean, at this point, like I'd imagine you're making your boys do all the work, hang stands and, and, uh, and do all the heavy yeah. lifting. So you, you've earned that right. I, I hope so. Um, you know, I've kind of come full circle. I used to, um, I used to do a lot of preseason scouting, but now are you still there? Yeah. Yeah. Everything went black for a second. Okay. But anyway, I, I used to do a lot of preseason scouting. Um, now a, a lot of it is just, we do a lot of shed hunting. And so, uh, my oldest son, especially is a really, really avid shed hunter. And so one of the things that's most important to us is specific deer that we know survived the previous hunting season, the previous winter, we have a pretty good idea usually of, of where they are if we have some history with them. And so deer have kind of specific home ranges that vary throughout different times of the year. So as far as scouting goes, you can watch deer in, in ag fields and bean fields all summer long and think, man, this is, you know, I got to do is fill out my tag and time and the date. And then as the season gets close and the beans start to turn colors and the acorns start to drop, they're range totally changes also when the velvet comes off those bachelor groups of bucks that tolerated each other all summer don't tolerate each other very well when you know when the rut starts to get starts to get going a little bit and so they spread out and so a, a lot of what i do is based on history with okay so this deer let's say i start the season i want to hunt a specific deer a lot of times i have an idea of where his early fall range is and then where his 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 later fall and winter range might be if I'm still hunting them late. And so I put kind of more stock into that where it's, it's more of a history thing than it is just preparing, you know, the, the, the summer before. Now, as far as the equipment goes, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I've been, I've been an archer since 1978. So 43 years. Um, and I spent about 39 of those years making fun of people that hunted with crossbows, my friends that hunted with crossbows. And unfortunately that is now me. And I shouldn't say okay. unfortunately, okay. but um, I've got a bone spur on my right arm and I, I can't draw my bow comfortably. And so about three years ago, two, well, three seasons ago, two years ago, I had to make a decision and that was uh, crossbow or no go. And so I, I'm, I'm now a string rifleman, but, uh, and, and that really, because <laughs> I, I made fun of a lot of my friends for a lot of years who, who have since taken great pleasure in, in, uh, you know, reminding me fun. of that. Exactly. So I don't yeah. do a lot of, shoot a lot, you know, in the summertime and, and you know, try to get ready, comfortable with my equipment. The the new, new crossbows really it's unnecessary. I mean, you dial them in, and it's 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 kind of like hunting with a twenty two match rifle. I mean, they're really accurate and yeah. it actually game changer. I can't believe how quiet they are now. Just how oh, quiet yeah. crossbows have gotten over the last I don't know five ten years or so. They are just like whisper quiet. Unbelievably powerful. I I bought a. Um, a, it's called a raven i'm not sure if you're familiar yes, with this yeah 
Haven a couple of years ago. And, and I bought it at the archery shop. And the guy at the shop told me after I'd shot it in his shop, he said, hey, you want to get a specific target for this? Because these arrows are really hard to stop. And I thought, yeah, OK, well, I've got several block targets at my house. Not a problem. I'll just put them back to back. So I went home and I took two block targets, put them back to back and and took a, a practice shot. And it didn't even slow the slow the bolt down. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's. Yeah. So it, let, it, let me, it, let me ask you this. I want to circle back to, to the shed hunting and, and kind of your history with bucks. Now, are, when, when you're taking like a buck inventory, if you will, of what you have on the properties that, that you hunt. So you're going out, you're shed hunting, you're finding antlers. Are you going back and reviewing like trail cam footage to see, you know, what bucks survive or, or do you have kind of like a mental inventory of all of these deer that, that you would classify in the, in the, in a category that you're looking to hunt. How, how do, how do you, how do you do that? Like what's, what's your process there? First of all, you touched on trail cameras. I would be the first to say that if like some States outlawed cellular trail cameras and, and which are a huge part of what we do, but um, it, trail cameras have been the absolute single greatest game changer for me, my style of hunting. Um, I, most of the deer that I've killed in the last, oh, probably 10 to 15 years, and, and my boys included, we had lots of, I mean, we, we were thinking, the la I think the last time my boys and I killed a random big buck that we didn't know about, that we didn't already know about, have a picture of, was 2004. That's the last oh, wow. time. Oh, wow. Wow. All the rest of them have been, you know, we got a lot of history with them. And, and so, so to go back to your question about, you know, how, how do you process from the deer from last year to this year? Yeah, that's a real tough one because some deer will fool you. Like I have a friend of mine who killed a deer a couple of years ago that made Boone and Crockett netted over 170 inches. And he had six years history with this deer. And the deer was at least, at least eight and a half years old. And at four and a half, five and a half, six and a half, and seven and a half, this deer was 140 to 150 last year. And then the, the jump between seven and a half and eight and a half, he went from like 150 to 170, which you never would have thought. You wow. never know. Some deer blow up, some deer don't. Some deer you think, especially if you don't have history with them, it's really easy to misjudge how old a deer is. We got a picture, we got a trail camera photo. And, and if you'd like, I can, I'll send it to you. And if you can include this in your podcast, I don't know if you, you'll be able to put it up there, but we've got, we got a trail camera of a deer picture of a deer a couple years ago my boys and i we looked at it and we didn't recognize him and we said wow that that's a that's a future superstar he's three and a half year old buck and i mean just he had all the characteristics of a three and a half year old buck that was gonna you know blossom into something tremendous and that fall he got killed on a farm down the road from from where we live and i found him lying dead and i started asking around some of the guys that hunt the area i found the guy who had shot the deer i had him describe it to me I had a couple sticker times it was very you know, easy to describe. And, and so I told him, I say, well, I, I found your deer and I took him to it. And when we were, were standing over it, I said, man, I, you know, I said that, that deer, that's, that's a really nice young buck. And he said, young, seven and a half years old. I said, what? He pulled the phone and proceeds to show me four years of trail camera. This wow. buck. Whoa. Absolutely the same deer. So if you don't have history with them, it's really hard. It's really hard sometimes to gauge some people. I mean, it's, you can gauge a two and a half to a three and a half. And then a lot of times a three and a half to a four and a half, when they get over four and a half years old, sometimes it'll fool you. But you just don't know who, who's going to be what the next year. Yeah. So when so, you've got, when you've got years long history with these deers or with these deer, excuse me, what, what are you doing to, 
I mean, to keep those deer on a, on a piece of property. I mean, you know, you read all the time where a buck might travel, you know, four miles during the rut, never return back. And what, what are you doing yeah. to keep that number of deer on, on your particular property? Are you, are you guys, you know, yeah. what's kind of like your management uh, strategy? Nothing. Okay. So here, here's another problem that, that, that is a real problem. And it's almost, unless you control thousands and thousands of acres, that's a very difficult thing to do. And here's why when bucks get to be mature, they don't tolerate each other real well. So it'd be like this. If you, if you go to a bar and there's a, you know, some good looking girls in there, but there's 50 guys in there and you got to fight every night to just to talk to one of them, you're going to seek out a bar that's got a little better ratio or you go for a ladies night. Exactly. So what happens is if you've got a couple of really good bucks in an area, they spread out because they, they know instinctively that, 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 you know, that they're going to butt heads all the time. And so, Something else I found is that a lot of times in an area, a buck will be a bully. So, like, I don't know if you guys turkey hunt, but this is pretty common. Oh, yeah. in a, but you, you can go you can go into an area and, and you'll hear one turkey gobble. And if you take that turkey out, if you kill that turkey, you go back in three or four or five days. Sometimes there'll be four or five gobblers gobbling in the same area that were always there the whole time. They just didn't gobble because they were being suppressed by, you know, by the boss hog, by the you know, by the most dominant gobbler. Same thing with the deer in an area. I, I fully believe this. We've had deer disappear for years. Like we'd, we'd get pictures of them for two, three years in a row and then gone. You'd assume they're dead. And a year or two or three later, they'll show up and boom, there it is again. And, and I really yeah. believe this, the demographics of a neighborhood change. And so a three-year-old becomes a four-year-old, a four-year-old becomes a five-year-old, they get more dominant. And older bucks, they just go where they don't have to fight. And so, or, or they're not getting, you know, they're not constantly in competition. And so a lot of times these deer spread out. So to answer your question, what do I do to keep deer on my, I don't do anything other than I try to keep tabs on them with trail cameras as best I can. And a lot of times they'll disappear. Sometimes it's for days. Sometimes it's for weeks, months, years. A lot of times uh, bucks, you'll get a lot of trail camera photos of them in an area in October and boom, they're gone. You think that ah, something happened, you get by a car, hunter shot them and then bang, he shows back up in January. I mean, it happens all the time. Yeah. Andrew, do you have a question? Yeah. So Mike, when, when you're doing the inventory on, on the deer, I mean, I get all these pictures and I'm like, I see these little bucks and I'm like, all right. So I guess the question is at what point do you kind of start flagging them and saying that one is next in line and that one, you know, and start really take, take an inventory of them. Is it at one and a half, two and a half, three and a half, but there's got to be a point, right? You can just take every spike and, and try to watch them all the way through, right? Yeah, I think three and a half is a good bellwether. When a deer gets me in four and a half, two and a half, it's really hard to say. I, I've seen deer just blow up that you would have never expected. And, and, and the same thing can happen when they get older, but I think you start to really see what they're going to be like when they get to be three and a half and for sure when they get to be four and a half years old. Do you guys practice, do you do any, like, do you guys shoot does at all? Or is that just, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, um, I can tell you that that is, that, that really is a, a major component to a lot of places. Um, and boy, I could go off on a story here about, um, about deer densities, which would probably take up your whole podcast, but, but is we will put a pin in that and we will have you on another episode. Cause I, I, I really was just going to say, what's the magic number like does per square mile. <laughs> no, I, I really, I really want to hear that. So we're, we'll, we'll do a podcast episode about that. Great. Well, I'll try to paraphrase it. So I, you guys may have heard of a guy named David Morris. So, so David Morris founded North American whitetail 
he and uh, uh, was it Steve Vaughn and Dick and Dick Idle? Yeah, back oh gosh, years and years and years, probably forty some years ago. But anyway, David Morris, I believe, has killed more Boone and Crockett's, which is world record book beer, than than anybody ever. Um, for sure. If not, he's in the very, very top, but he's also a, a, a master's degree biologist, wildlife biologist, and probably the deepest thinker I've ever met as far as this, this stuff goes. And I got to be friends with him several years ago. And I picked him up once at the airport, we were going to a meeting and on the way to the meeting, we had just gotten to be good friends. I used to write for his magazine, North America Whitetail Magazine. So I, I knew him via that, but I'd never really spent any time with him. And uh, he asked me, he said, Mike, he said, you run trail cameras. And I said, yeah. And he said, how many? I said, a lot, you know, probably 40 or 50 at a time. And, and he said, hey, you ever get any pictures of any big bucks? And I said, well, occasionally. And he said, well, when do you get them? I said, nah, it's usually in the middle of the night. And he said, why do you suppose that is? And I said, well, I suppose it's because big bucks only move around much in the middle of the night. He said, well, that's part of it, but let me tell you what it really is. And then he went on to explain to me some radio collar stuff that he had done. He used to own Burnt Pine Plantation and Fort, right, Fort Perry in, Texas, or in Georgia and I mean, this guy's really done a lot, a lot. He owns Tecumati, uh seed, seed blends, food plot seed blends. And so anyway, um, he said, it's like this. He said, when a mature buck, when he, what he calls a mature buck is five and a half plus or six and a half plus to be more specific, gets to be that old, they become antisocial. And what he means by antisocial is um, they don't like, they don't like other anything. They don't like other people. They don't like coyotes. They don't like squirrels. They don't like that. They only trust those. They're very solitary creatures. A lot of times they'll they'll travel. If they travel with another deer, it's usually a younger buck and he's like a blocker. He's out in front. And, and so he was telling me, he said, he said, watch him. And, and, and when he started telling me this stuff, just like it was like an aha moment. I mean, just lights start going off in my head. He said, think about it. If it was just the cover of darkness, he said, where do you set your trail cameras? I said, well, I set them in high traffic areas. I set them over food sources. I set them in funnels. I set them in places where I'm hopefully going to see a lot of deer he said exactly he said and the reason you're not seeing those deer until one two three o'clock in the morning is because that's when the crowds clear out if it were just the cover of darkness you'd see them as soon as it gets dark but but not he said you see the does the fawns he said watch a bachelor group in the summertime out in the field the two three four year old bucks will all be in a group and the, the older bucks will be with them he said watch them exit the field when they exit the field, the, the two, three, four-year-olds, they all go off in a group. The, the mature bucks all leave by themselves. They're solitary creatures. They only trust their nose. They only trust their eyes. They don't, they don't trust anything else. They don't get to be that old by yeah. being normal. They don't do what other deer do. If they did, they'd get killed. So they're just, they're, they become like a totally different animal. And man, when he told me that, it was, it was really... It was really a, an altering experience. He's exactly right. So tying that back together with the ultimate number of does and, and things, in all honesty, you, you don't. When I think back to some of the very biggest bucks that I've killed, especially the ones in, during the rut or even in the middle after the rut, it, it's almost always been in fringe areas. It's not in the areas where all the deer were. It's on the perimeter of the areas where all the deer are. And, and when he told me this, it just like, whoa. That's exactly what I saw. I've just never connected the dots. That makes any sense. No, I don't. That's 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 fascinating. It's so funny that you talk about like the lead blocker because I uh, this year I have trail cam footage of a pretty nice eight, and every picture I have of him, 
I don't know whether, you know, it might be a half hour, 20 minutes, 10 minutes. There's, there's a one or two year old or two or three year old little four point before him. Every single picture I have of him, that little four is, is there first. Yep. It's a sacrificial lamb. And let's just preface that your good eight is nothing to Mike's dear. Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) Okay. I'm talking about 130 inch eight. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the one I, I, I did some research. I was reading some articles about you and uh, I read just a, a paragraph about your scent control process. And oh, yeah. I'm going to be honest. You sound like a maniac when it comes to scent control. Just no, you know, I, I mean, it is like the most in-depth process and obviously it works. So speak a little bit about what you do for, for, for the scent control process. Well, uh, now it depends because I've kind of come full circle on this too. Are you talking okay. about this? hardwood smoke or no or this was talking? like five layers uh of like base uh, scent control oh. it, it, i was like the article is yeah. probably five or six years old but so i'm sure you've changed but well let me say let me say this well a couple things the single most effective scent reducing program that i have come across is hardwood smoke and and, and i, I don't want to go like again i go on for a long time about this but here's the basic premise Hardwood smoke has, I believe it's chlorophenols and trichlorophenols in it that are antimicrobial. So what the deer smell, they smell carbon dioxide from our breath and given off through the pores of our skin. And the reason that a deer is scared to death of a dog, but not scared of a cow or a horse, because cows and horses are herbivores, they only eat plants. Dogs eat meat. We are also meat, but we give off a specific odor that is, is very offensive to them that they find dangerous. And so what kills that, so, so, so the, the science behind it would be like this. If you take a piece of meat and you throw it on a table and three days later you eat it, raw meat, you get sick because it's covered in bacteria. You take that same piece of meat, you put it in a hardwood smoker, you throw it on a table, six months later you can eat it, you're fine. The reason being is that the chlorophenols and trichlorophenols in the hardwood smoke are antimicrobial. They kill the bacteria that makes us sick. Well, if you, if you smoke yourself up with hardwood smoke, it's not a cover scent. I, I really don't believe we have 4 million olfactory sensors in our nose. A deer has 250 million olfactory. So, I mean, we smell, you know, we eat vegetable soup. We smell vegetable soup. A deer smells peas, corn, carrot. I mean, it's their sense of smell is so outrageously sensitive. We can't even imagine it. A, a, a bloodhound, a tracking dog has about 125 million olfactory sensors in his nose. So a white-tailed deer's nose is twice as sensitive as a bloodhound. And a bloodhound can track you 12 hours after you walk through a field. So a deer's, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. But, but anyway, what the hardwood smoke does, it, it, and I, I have no science behind this other than experience, is it knocks down enough of your odor that the deer still smell you, but it either confuses them how close you are or, um, it, you know, it just, it just messes with their perception. And so a lot of times they'll look in your direction, but they don't, they don't snort and, and spook like they would if you were doing nothing at all but yeah. but there's absolutely nothing that beats hunting downwind there's nothing nothing yeah. i have found to beat that but but as far as scent control goes if if i have an area where i'm going to hunt and i know that the scent is probably i i need to be there timing is right everything's right and there's only one tree that works and i know there's a probability that this deer might come from downwind of me then um you know i I, I, I would probably, I would, 
I would smoke up before I went out. Some people think that's crazy, you know, because well, well, you smell like smoke, and, and it alerts the deer. You know, you give off a specific odor. Well, deer smell lots of foreign odors over the course of a day. They just, you know, it's the stuff that eats meat that scares them to death. So, if I go vegan, do you think I'll see more deer? Absolutely. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm I'm sold. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go vegan and start shooting oh. giant bucks. That's that's the plan that I've been missing. That's the the magic golden ticket. Dean or Barry Wenzel used to do that, and I thought, gosh, it's crazy. But yeah, if if you went vegan, you would not smell offensive. <laughs> Oh man, that's, that's, that's wild. So one, one other question I want to talk about just kind of about the process. Oh, go ahead, Andrew. Well, I was just going to say, Mike, when, okay, I'm not going to lie. I'm a sucker for trying all this stuff that comes out. So last year I tried the ozone stuff, which I think that the idea is similar as far as killing some of the bacteria and that kind of stuff. I was pretty impressed with it. Um, I, and so I miss, maybe it's just me being anecdotal or whatever, but one of the other things I noticed is, is I'll go out in the woods, I'll walk, check my trail cam, cards and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I always worry that I'll do it on my way home from work or something. I'm going to booger up the area and screw it up. And then I'll go back and check the, I was there. And then three hours later, the deer walked through. So to me, it's like, are they getting used to my scent or is it something that uh, just randomly got lucky or they don't care are these deer, you know, whatever. Do you have any uh, thoughts on that? Actually, well, a, a couple things, getting back, getting back to your point about, uh, going in checking trail cameras and then the deer coming in right after you so years ago before there was a thermocell if i was going to hunt an area early season and i knew the mosquitoes were going to be bad and you just you're hunting a swamp or some area lowland area and you just know you're going to get carried off by mosquitoes i would go into that area for a month prior to that at least a couple days a week and i would take off and i'd spray the base of my tree and just hit it with an <laughs> and i'd do that for you know a week in, or a month in a row with the idea being that I'm going to desensitize these deer to the smell of off because they've been through here a million times and they smell it and nothing, nothing tried to eat them. And so the same thing can be said if you're, if you're visiting an area for whatever, being a feeder, if you're dropping corn or you're, you're checking a camera, whatever you're doing, if you're, if you're spending a lot of time, it, it will absolutely over time, it will desensitize the deer to, to your, your odor. Same reason that deer in cities, you know, in towns are, are a lot less weary than deer out farther out into the country because the deer in town are interacting with people on a daily basis the deer out in the country don't see people very often i, I really believe one of the reasons that the deer get the bucks especially get very nocturnal in about the middle of september or the end of september and especially in rural areas is because this predator us hasn't been there all summer and then all of a sudden we start scouting we start hanging stands and pruning branches and doing stuff and this this strange predator that hasn't been there for months all go back up and boom i mean i use this 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 uh example a lot canadian geese okay so on public beaches in the summertime you can't shoo those damn things away i mean they literally they'll hiss at you and everything else the first day goose season comes in you can't get a quarter mile in thing (laughs) so animals can sense you know what i mean when we mean them harm and, and i think they also know in the fall of the year, when humans start showing up in the woods a lot more than they were in July and August, I think they know something's up. They also figure out pretty quickly, and trail cameras prove this, that we're only there in the daylight. That's another reason why I, re- I believe they get very nocturnal is because all the, all the predators, not all, but us being the strange predator, is only there in the daytime. So do you think the October law that people talk about, do you think that's generated by us, or do you think that's just something in the deer's natural <laughs> genetics that the 
they're doing something else during October. Do you think that's predicated by us? Uh, maybe. I mean, there are probably a lot of factors that go into it. I, I've, I've seen that before, though. All of a sudden, your cameras will be real active. You'll be hunting and seeing a lot of deer, and then all of a sudden, boom, everything shuts down. Now, not necessarily October, but the end of October, 1st of November, if after the leaves have turned, if we get a thunderstorm or a, or a strong wind comes and knocks all the leaves down, that'll screw them up for four or five days because the woods change overnight. The woods go from dark and you know what I mean? They've had this cover all summer to all of a sudden, man, it's wide open. I think that that'll make them real jiggy. But as far as the, the October law, I hear people talk about it. It's probably, it probably has more to do with the breeding cycle of when the does, you know what I'm saying? Cause when the, I think when the, when the, when the velvet comes off and, you know, they start to, the, the, the hormones start to get going, then they get a little more active. And then I think they kind of settle down a little bit. And then all of a sudden some does start to come in, you know, start to cycle some of those older does. And I think that's what really kind of kicks things back off. So there might be a gap in between, you know, when they shed their velvet and, and when the actual, you know, breeding cycle starts. So when, when we're in the early season, the first, just say the first three weeks of the bow season here in Ohio, do you limit the hunting pressure in your woods and, and kind of save, you know, save that pressure for, for more like pre-rut, rut? What, what are your, what are your, I mean, that would, you know, where we're hunting and what we've got to hunt. I mean, there are some years that early on, you know, we have some exceptional deer and, and we will hunt them, but a lot of times, you know, these deer, uh, the, the deer that we target tend to be more huntable as October progresses and they start moving more, they're up and on their feet more. You know, if you can get on, I mean, I killed the biggest buck of my life. This, this, this buck right above me here, he's actually the biggest deer in, in this county. And I killed him opening day of bow season, October 1st, 2005. Um, but I will, I'll be the first person to admit I did not have him pinned down that year. It was, it was, I mean, I knew he was there. I knew I had two and a half years of my life in the deer, but I, I, I wouldn't tell you that, boy, he was entering the field over at that corner, you know, seven nights in a row or, anything like that i just went to what i thought was a logical spot to kill him actually wound up killing him in the morning which is even more unusual because this time of year morning hunting is pretty tough for early in the season because if you're hunting mostly food sources and the deer are already there so you can beat them there in the afternoon it's hard to beat them there in the morning so you shoot this and and for for people listening to this that deer was huge um what did it score two 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 eighteen plus Six eight, I think he grosses like two two forty six, something like that. So you shot that opening day when I mean, was that like a relief for you, or and you know the first week in November were you just pacing around the house because you should be in a deer stand, but you're at home. I mean, what? How did that work out for the entire year? Uh, there, there, there were really was one downside to killing that deer, and that is prior to that, every year I always wanted something better than the year before. Every year I wanted, I wanted one one thirty. Every year I had a target, something else. And when I killed that buck, um, I, I had hit the top of the hill. I mean, I, my chances yeah. of ever that in the county where I, because I, I don't travel much to hunt anymore. So my, my chances of ever killing a bigger buck are, are really not good. And so it took that out of me. Fortunately, my kids at that time were just getting old enough to climb into all of my stands. And so I, I funneled a lot of the enthusiasm that I had for the sport. I funneled it into my kids. And that was sort of a godsend. And then later when my boys got older and, and, and kind of flew the coop on me and they still hunt with me, but not quite as much as they used to, um, to make it interesting. What, what we like to do now is we like to pick out a specific deer 
and and hunt that deer. That's how we keep it fun and keep it challenging. And 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 I will say that over the years we've passed on some some pretty good bucks that previously we, we probably would have would have tried, but it wasn't the deer we were after. Yeah. No, that's that's interesting. Mike, okay, quick stupid question. Just because when I listen to stuff I, I, you know all day long and stuff, do you guys name your deer or is it just that's <laughs> the deer? Sometimes, sometimes yeah. we um I uh I killed one a couple of years ago, actually a couple of years ago, 2013, that I'm getting old. That's 2013, just a couple of years ago. But anyway, um, that, that I named, or my boys named the Teflon Dot. And the reason we called him the Teflon Dot is because we, we really believed he was unkillable. And, uh, and, and I killed him and it was, blunt. my son, he was eight and a half years old. We had five years of trail camera photos of him. He, he didn't, he wasn't by no means the big, highest scoring Bucky. The year I got him, he netted like 150 inches. I mean, he was a nice deer, but he, he never got any better than that. But, uh, and interesting enough, he was, he was a nine point, a 10 point, an eight point, and then a 10 point, 10 point, 10 point after that. But anyway, um, he lived in an area that um, he could get old, but the, the way I like to hunt him uh, a lot of the times is I, I, I'm, I'm big on pinch points and funnels and, and uh, you know, inside corners and things like that. And, and that buck, when you, when he gets to get to be eight and a half years old, you don't get that way by being lucky. And so he, he wouldn't fall for the, the, the traps that I had set for him. Matter of fact, I, I had my first encounter with him. My, my, my oldest son hunted him, or actually my middle son hunted him two years previous. My oldest son hunted him the year before that. And then they handed me the baton on the third year. And I had an encounter with him on Halloween and perfect. I had a, if you can envision this, there was a, like a five acre ridge cap field that was planted in a food plot. And at the back left corner, it dropped off into a hard hardwood ravine, real steep on either side. And there was about a, probably a 70 yard gap from the corner of the field to the ravine where it was so steep that it was like a, you know, like a cliff almost. So I had a perfect funnel, like a 70 yard gap where the deer that wanted to come from east or west, either had to cross the field or go all the way around the ravine or, you know what I'm saying, or pass right through the funnel. I'd sit, I had a stand on the north end and on the south end for a north wind or a south wind. And uh, I'd sit there and watch deer during the rut just all day, just parade through this place. And so Halloween evening, here he comes, the Teflon Don, he's out in the field and he's about to pass right through the funnel. And I thought, you son of a gun, you know. And so anyway, got about 70 yards out right at the edge of the field and the wind was in my face. Everything was perfect. And I'm way up in the air. I'm 35 feet in the air and I'm hidden and there. And, and he just stops and he starts looking around. He looks left, he looks right. And all of a sudden he looks up straight at me and his eyes get as big as saucers. And he just oh. starts walking. And he steps backwards out in the field and he makes a big loop all the way around. I said, oh my God, no way he smelled me. He saw me, he absolutely saw me up in that tree. So anyway, that's on Halloween. So if you fast forward to the 16th of November, I had a second encounter with him and he was coming from the opposite direction everything's perfect again i'm in a, the opposite stand and the wind's in my face and everything's good out to pass through that cut and he gets probably 50 60 yards from the cut and he stops and he just starts looking around and he doesn't see me but he just looks around he can see up in the field there are other deer in the food plot he sees them he looks around and he backs up and he didn't really back up but he just walks a big loop all the way around that ravine he would not pass through that cut without knowing if there were danger on the other side because he could you know I mean, he, he, his nose would fail him so anyway about 15 minutes later i hear 
some some commotion out in the field and a doe trots right underneath my tree with her tail up and right behind her i hear that and i look up and here he comes with his nose to the ground and he walks right under my stand and i killed him but it was blind ass luck i mean the way i wanted to hunt, natural travel pattern through that cut he, he wasn't coming through there uh unfortunately a, a, a girl cost him his life but oh, uh man. if man. it wasn't for that doe no way that deer dies of old age and this is interesting so i told you my boys had hunted him my 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 middle son made a bad hit on him the two years prior. I tried to shoot him hard quartering away and shot him in the rump, shot him in the in, in the like in the back roast, I guess. And then my oldest son made a bad hit on which my sons are usually pretty good archers, but but anyway, and hit it, shot him in the armpit and hit him low right here. And when we field dressed him, he had the scar from my my middle son in his butt he had the scar from my oldest son in his armpit and he had somebody else's broadhead in his brisket somebody had shot him straight on in the brisket so he had been shot at least three times prior to that to make it to eight and a half i mean teflon don that is like that is the perfect nickname for that you couldn't you couldn't do better with the name there that's that's perfect no that's that's great so i i want to stick with you know so when you're hunting that early season um how are you picking your tree stand locations, your, your hunt locations? Are you basing those solely on deer patterns, what you've seen during the summer? Um, are you just hunting like bed to food, bed to food, wind, yeah. weather? What, what kind of dictates what stand location you're going to hunt? Inclusive food. Early season's all, all about food. Yeah, I mean, it, they bed. There's so much cover this time of year. They bed where they get tired. Yeah. I mean, it, it really, there's a lot of, you know, there's just so much cover. There's brush feed. I mean, it is bedding becomes actually bedding cover becomes probably most important in the late season deer bed a lot of times this time of year they just bed where they so when you're kind of in season are you using um like trail cams to help with deer movement or is it just what you see out there uh, what, what trail cameras are a huge part of our uh, wireless trail cameras are a huge part of our uh of, of our strategy as a matter of fact i, I I struggle with it sometimes because borderline cheating. I mean, it, 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 when I say borderline, some States like Montana, you know, Al, if you, uh, the Boone and Crockett club, for example, if you have, which is the world record, you have a wireless trail camera photo of an animal prior to killing it. The Boone and Crockett club won't accept your entry because they think it's not sporting, which, I mean, I kind of think that's hypocritical because you can hit one with your truck and they'll accept that entry. But, uh, but anyway, um, wireless trail cameras are, are a complete game changer i i have personally killed three bucks in the last seven years that were a direct result of a wireless trail camera where one i, w- I was in a stand on early november and i got a picture sent to my phone of a deer on another place that i hunt and i couldn't see him real well but he, he looked big and so i got down out of stand and i waited a couple hours i went and got in the other stand and an hour later he came the other way i killed him uh another one in the morning, I was going to hunt in the morning and I got up, I had showered, got ready to go. And I was just about to take off to go to my spot. And the buck that I was hunting was within a hundred yards of my stand. He was just about to pass through. So I didn't go. And then I killed him that afternoon. If I would have gone that morning, I'd have bumped him out in the dark. I'd have heard something run off. They all sound like, you know, cows running off in the woods in the dark yeah. and, and wouldn't have had the opportunity. Then another deer, the only late season buck that I've killed in my life in January, big buck. Um, I had no intention of going hunting, but I, those tra- wireless trail cameras, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and check them and, 
And uh, I happened to get a picture at about five o'clock in the morning of a deer that a, a pretty big buck. And so I called called in sick that morning and I, yeah. I wound up, but I never would have gone that morning if it weren't for a wireless trail camera. What oh, time uh, are you? Oh, oh sorry. sorry go ahead. Go ahead. Go. Uh, oh. What, what time are you walking into your stand every morning? I mean, are you in there at 4 a.m.? Yeah, it all, it all depends. Uh, I, as a rule of thumb, I like to go if I'm a hunt in the morning, I like to go in when it's just cracking, where I can walk in without a flashlight, where it's still fairly dark, but it's not so dark that I can't see without a flashlight. Because, I mean, at least I have an outside chance of seeing if there's a, there's a good deer, the deer I'm hunting is close by. I have an outside chance of seeing him before he sees me. If I go walking in in the dark with a flashlight, it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're just going to spook whatever's there. You just are. Corey, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask, like, how often do you guys find yourselves, like, maybe not completely satisfied with the setup and either moving a stand in the season based on what you're seeing or maybe putting up a new stand during yeah, the season? all the time. All That's the time. I, yeah, okay. Very mobile, constantly. How I've many never... sets will you have before you you just say this stand location is a bust? I'm let's let's move. Is that is that the eye test, or do you, you is that a combination of trail cam and hunts? When when do you pull out of a well, location? That's because trail cameras only show you kind of a finite picture of what's happening. Trail cameras are, are used. We use those more for finding deer that we want to hunt, but actual they're, they're, nothing can replace like. I don't can't tell you how many times I've been hunting near a trail camera and maybe uh, it'll get two or three pictures and heck there might've been, you know, umpteen deer within a hundred yards there. You never knew we were there. So yeah, it, it more of an experience thing. I also personally, and my boys are the same way we like to have for each set, wherever we're hunting, we like to have multiple stands for multiple wind directions, because you know, if you only have so many days and the rut's only so many days long, you know, and, and, and the wind is constantly wrong, then you just, I mean, I would rather not hunt a spot incorrectly than go in there, you know, on a bad wind that I know, you know, some high probability of getting winded. So if, if you can, whenever possible, we have, we've got multiple sets for multiple different wind directions. You just answered my second, my follow-up question, which is, is, is there too many stands to have in one area if you want to hunt the right wind? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I really yeah. don't think so. I mean, it depends on how many your wife will let you buy, I guess. Man. Yeah, that's it. That's you just don't that's tell her. That's the thing. Right. Oh, yeah. The, uh, Mike, when, when we're talking about these stands and stuff, and, and I bring the, some of this back down to the fundamentals, are we talking ladder stands, uh, hang-ons, climber saddles? What, what kind of stuff are you guys working with? <clears throat> uh, probably 95% of my stands are hang-on stands. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I I am not a tree stand guy. We've talked about that in the last couple of episodes. I am a boots on the ground. You're not getting me a, a hang on stand. I, I, I might as well jump off of a building. Yet, you know, Paul, yet. Hunt. It's not going to happen. So, There's nothing better than falling asleep up in a tree stand. I'm telling you, when that sun I'll comes do that, up. I'll do that my ground blind. <laughs> so, yeah. so, Mike, when you're, you're hunting that, that early season, Mm-hmm. the weather starts to change the deer movements patterns start to change when when do you think in your area of ohio the pre-rut starts like what 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 do you classify as pre-rut is it is it calendar driven weather driven is it what you see yeah i think doing? it has to do you know it's it, it, the, the rut is triggered by angle of the sun and hours of daylight so it's pretty much the same time every year it has to mm-hmm. be 
I mean, nature designed it. If, if the rut was really, I mean, I know a lot of really good hunters that put a lot of stock in the moon. I personally don't. I'm not saying that there, there I think there might be something to it. And there definitely are some days it's hard to explain why the deer are so active and other days where you think they should be and they aren't. And, and so the, maybe the moon factors into it, but nature is pretty precise in that if the deer, if they rut too early, the deer, they're born too early, they don't survive them. They, they're, they're, they're too small for deer and they don't survive the winter. So the farther north you get, especially condensed the rut gets because it has to be. Down south where it's warm, you know, it's not nearly as critical, but but you get up, you know, Midwest and north and, and the rut's got to be pretty much the same time every year. Close, you know, maybe not exactly the same, but, um, you know, my, my strategy is, like I said, early we hunt food sources and then coming up here, you know, end, end of October, then we go more towards, uh, you know, pinch points or places where we're, you know, consistently getting pictures of good deer. So when you're picking your kind of peak season, peak rut season locations, mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. that, is that history? Is that what you're seeing, you know, during that particular season? I mean, every season could be different. Is it weather driven mm -hmm. or like, do you hone in well, on one location for the rut? I, uh, I mean, I, I can't, again, it's, it's, it's variable, but in, based on experience, there are places like, for example, buck sign deer scrape specific places every year. And it's just like, if you, we were talking about turkeys earlier, there are just certain places that turkeys like to roost. They just do. And so they're, you know, I, I, uh, uh, I, a lot of times, you know, we, we have a pretty good idea where the buck sign is going to be, you know, before the rut comes in. But as far as, as far as I, weather's probably the number one factor. You know, I mean, deer have fur coat on in, in the wintertime, or excuse me, in, a, in the fall of the year, if it's 80 degrees, I mean, you wouldn't run around much with a fur coat on. You'd, you'd wait until the sun goes down. And so um, weather's probably more, more critical than any other factor. Okay, Mike. So when you got that heavy coat of fur and mm -hmm. your hormones are raging and it's 75 mm -hmm. degrees the first week yeah. of November, like last year, yeah. what are you mm -hmm. doing uh, during that? Well, <laughs> I'm crying like everybody else. But, uh, <laughs> I, I think that, uh, you know, I think that the deer are going to move a lot more on a first light, last light pattern. I watched a buck once on a, a 70 degree early November day. I watched a buck bed down, a really nice buck. Actually, I was trying to kill a deer that my son wound up killing. And I watched him bed down. He bed down within like 40 yards of my stand. And he, I'd never seen this before. He fell asleep and he laid on his side. And if you've ever seen like a dog that's dreaming, and he, uh, like, he like kicks his legs, like he's, you know, he's dreaming, he's running from something, he's chasing something. This buck started doing that while he was sleeping. <laughs> and all of a sudden he woke up and he just looked around and then he, and he, then he kind of rolled over. And, but he got a good 15, 20 minute power nap in, uh, in the middle of the day, right in the middle of an open hardwoods. But it was like a, a 70 degree day. He was having nightmares about you and your boys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. So in, in that, that rut phase, hunting um are you a fan of scents or lures putting out mock scrapes um yeah no using not, rattling not really. antlers grunt calls or do you try to disturb no. the woods and their natural process as little as possible yeah no well I'm, I'm not saying that stuff doesn't work but it doesn't work for me um i have in my life i've rattled in deer before but they almost always see me before i see them um I mean, I know guys that are, you know, successful. I have one friend of mine's a rattlesnake. I mean, he rattles all the time. I used to tell him, how do you know the deer wasn't just coming through? Cause he rattles so much, but, but um, 
it, I mean, that stuff does work, but it's just, it's not part of my, my tactics. Okay. So when, when that kind of the peak rut activity hits and you're seeing deer movement, you're seeing everything that, that hunters want to see, how many, you know, how many hours are you putting in stand? Are you hunting early morning? Are you hunting all day? Are you just, are daylight and nighttime hours? What's, what's, what's your strategy? Yeah, a lot of it has to do with the, the, the stand location. So if the stand's really hard to get to, then, then occasionally I'll sit all day. If the stand's in a high pressure area, like in the last uh, 12 years, I've hunted two, two areas where I sat all day. One was really hard to get to, really hard to get to. Uh, and my son actually wound up killing this buck. But I sat up on this, this rock. I had to scale a cliff to get to it. But I sat up there 11 days from daylight till dark, which is grueling. And then uh, two years ago, I was hunting a lot of public ground. It was a specific deer, and he was, he was tra traversing public ground. And I was hiking to the back of the public ground where, where I had two stands set up, or a, a stand set up, and, and then I had a ground blind set up back there. And I spent several days in there from daylight till dark. And actually kind of uh, amazed myself at how many deer I saw in the middle of the day. Saw a lot of deer in the middle of the day back here on, on Wayne National Forest. Mm. Yeah, you're kind of down there in the uh, zone where Ohio has good public land. Uh, most Correct. of us are, are, we don't have a lot of that. So, right. so when you're, when you're in that, yeah, that Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Mike. No, no, that's okay. Go ahead. When you're in that, that, that peak rut activity, I mean, will you switch a stand location morning, evening? I mean, will you, will you bounce around if, if you're getting yeah. trail cam data that's coming in mm -hmm. or, or like yep. you're driving back for lunch and you see a buck walk. I mean, so you're, you're totally fluid with, with how the, how the woods are moving then, right? Sure. Yep. And, and a lot of that's based on trail cameras. Correct. Okay. So if I, if I'm a, if I'm a deer hunter in the state of Ohio and I have one week of vacation to hunt, mm -hmm. what week am I taking? Okay. So it depends on what your objectives are. I'm, I'm the secretary and the records chairman of the Buckeye Big Buck Club, the state record book. And I can tell you that the vast majority of state record book deer are killed the first two weeks in November. But the, the I don't say the vast majority, but the majority of top end bucks, Boone and Crockett class, really, really old, big, mature bucks are killed the second half of November between probably the 12th of November, 15th through the first gun cracking of gun season through uh, Thanksgiving. Really? So if your objective is to, yeah, if your objective is to kill a four or five year old buck, 140, 150 inch deer, the first two weeks in November are really hard to beat. If your objective is to kill a 170, uh, you'd probably be better, better served to hunt the second half of November based so on when, it, when the, when the bucks are killed. So is that because, I mean, is that, is that the, the actual rut activity kind of peaks the second half or is it because all of us took yeah. our vacation the first week of November and there's nobody, uh, you know, I have smart no, ones like you no scientific data to back it up, but yes, that, that's what I think. <laughs> yes. I, that I think that the, the, the bigger deer, the older deer, um, are probably more prone to moving around when they know there are fewer predators in the woods. I'm at the replay. I'm going to take duck season off and then I'm going to take the third week <laughs> of November off. That's, that's, that's what I'm doing. I think my mind is like you've blown. changed, you've changed my vacation plans for 2020. There you go. So, <laughs> um, Andrew, did you have a question? No, I just was curious as to why that was. And now I'm deep in thought thinking about this. Now I'm that not going to lie personally, the last couple of years, I felt like I've seen more activity per, when I'm sitting the later half of November. And I don't know if it was the weather or whatever, but 
Um, I mean, that uh, wrecked my, that wrecked my thinking actually. That's, that's, um, do you, do you gun hunt at all? Or are you uh, done by that point usually? Yes and no. I've, I've killed one Buckeye big buck with a gun and that was, uh, just two years ago. What's the, what's the, uh, how, how do you get into the Buckeye Big Buck Club? Obviously. Uh, so it's, we, well, the Buckeye Big Buck Club, which is our Ohio state record book, it, 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 it has a, you know, the, you use the Boone and Crockett scoring system and the minimums are 140 inch net typical and 160 net non-typical. So like the Pope and Young Club, which is the Archer World Record Book, they're 125, 150. Boone and Crockett, which is the world record book is 170, 195. And the Ohio State record book is once kind of in the middle, 140, 160. How many Buckeye Big Buck Club entries have you uh, put in? I have 22. 22. Man. Is that all? That's it? That's it? Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. So I have – I what, what, what kind of defines like a successful season for you? I mean, obviously – you know, I, I'm sure your priorities, you know, you said that earlier, your priorities have kind of changed with, you know, with your kids getting into mm-hmm. it. And then if you have grandkids, mm-hmm. it's going to change again. You know, what, mm-hmm. what defines a successful hunt or not hunt, but a successful season mm-hmm. for you? I mean, and, and, and has that changed over yeah, the absolutely. decades? Absolutely. So last year, my, all, my three sons and I all killed Buckeye big bucks. And I think that's happened just a handful of times. So that's, that's sort of the summit for us. If we, if, if all of us get good bucks, I last year, I didn't buy a hunting license, excuse me, I didn't buy a deer tag until November the 5th last year. I didn't hunt at all in October. Wow. So. Are now down, down there or, you know, where, where you're at, I know, do you, do you do a lot of turkey hunting during the spring? Is that kind of. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's another podcast. So, so I have, I, I actually, I, I told you this on the phone, but I killed my first turkey on a property next to yours. Right. Um, right. And, uh, and I, I remember like the first day we were out there, like you had all the turkeys on your property and, and me and the guy were just like, <laughs> well, we're not going over to Mike's. And we just sat there along this line fence and just yeah. watched like all these tops and just stood there and, and, you know, just watched them all walk out of our life. But a couple of days later, I finally got my, my first turkey. So that's, uh, you're, yeah, that was a cool, that was a cool moment for me. So. Mike, so you've got uh, a lot of experience with the Buckeye Big Buck Club, the measuring of the mm-hmm. deer, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We hear all the time, 160 class, 170 class, all this kind of stuff. Oh, I was sitting there and, you know, the, a 180 walk, but I couldn't shoot him, whatever. I know the guys are trying to measure him off the hoof, hoof or whatever they, mm-hmm. however they call it. But, you know, when you're mm-hmm. looking at deer and you're deciding, all right, am I going to pull the trigger on this one or not? How do you, can you give a real brief rundown of measuring on the hoof and what what you're looking at for something like that mm-hmm. well well let me first say that the the average hunter who's not real familiar with the boone and crockett scoring system will guess wrong every time i mean uh i i i hear people say yeah i see a 180 I see, there's a 180 in the state of ohio now we're talking about net scores in the state of ohio there might be four or five 180 inch deer typicals killed in a year in the whole state and i know guys that see them every time they go out you know what i mean so that's what they see they see big bucks right and, you know a big buck and a 180 are usually two different things so um a lot of times you know my boys and i we run so many trail cameras and we put so much emphasis on the trail cameras we have a pretty good idea now i will tell you this so the trail cameras will fool you they'll fool you in both directions sometimes you'll think you know wow that deer's giant and other times you'll think, you know, he's not so much. And I got a friend of mine killed a deer last year that 
that we had several trail camera photos of and he wasn't on our radar and I helped him track it. We walked up to it and my jaw dropped. I was like, Oh my gosh. And what it was a really big buck, big body deer, which, you know, really can fool you can go the other way too. We've killed deer. I, I killed a buck 10 years ago that we swore up and down was a 160. It was a 140. And it was because the deer was like, you know, he was a runt. He was a small deer. And so uh, it, it can fool you, but on average, you know, you're looking the, the Boone and Crockett scoring system is all about symmetry and tine length. And so, you know, we're looking for, you know, lots of points if possible and tall tines and, you know, that, that, that's the most important. I mean, tall tines are more important. A lot of times people are interested in heavy deer, massive deer, and, and, it, and, it, and it gives a deer shock value, but, but mass doesn't do much for score. It's tine length that, that really adds to the score. I read this really interesting story and I'd, I'd like for you to share it. Tell me about the sticker time buck, because I think that, that kind of, mm-hmm. did, was that like a miscalculation or how, how did that all work out? Okay. So that, that deer was actually killed by my son. Mm-hmm. And that was the deer I was telling you. That's the, the same. I was up on top of that rock where i watched that deer take a nap and, okay. and I, was hunt, I was hunting the sticker time buck when I was up there. Um, it was just a really, really, really difficult place to get to. And, uh, we would routinely, we would leave thousands of dollars of equipment in the woods, like bows, range finders, heater body suits, all kinds of stuff. Because I told my boys, I said, you know, thieves are lazy and no lazy person can get here <laughs> without a helicopter. It's just too hard to get there. So, I mean, we, it, it, it and just made the walk in and out so much easier. But, uh, but anyway, yeah. So my son wound up killing that deer and he was a really interesting deer. He, uh, we had, we had wireless trail cameras set up on this hillside and we had a bunch of bunch of pictures of this deer coming off this rock and and he would only come down well i shouldn't say he would only come down but he came down off the rock earlier based on over 100 different trail camera 100 different days where we had trail camera photos of him he would come down off that rock like two and a half hours earlier when the wind was in his face if the wind was at his back he just would not come down off that rock and my son wound up killing him late season, like I want to say like the 28th or 29th of January in a level three snow emergency. Oh. And uh, th- what, what happened was he had got, he, he was hungry. Everything was covered with ice and snow. And so his stomach got the better of him and he came down off that hill in the daylight and my son got him. But yeah, it was of all the deer that we've killed over the years, he, he probably ranks number one and most effort. It was a, it was a family effort. Like my, my other sons were involved in it. I was involved in it. My, my, my oldest son was the one who pulled the trigger, but it was not trigger, but he's one that shot him with his bow. But, but, uh, you, you know, the, the whole clan, we just had a lot of effort in that deer. Plus for my son, he was only 16 years old, you know, to have the composure with a deer like that. And you know what I mean? To be able to, to get, even just to get drawn. I mean, it was, it was, it was quite an accomplishment. Yeah. Do you still get buck fever? I mean, you absolutely. You've... If I quit, if that, if that emotion quit happening, I'm going to quit hunting. Cause it's way too yeah. much work. How do you, how do you control that? I mean, that, that, that was like, okay. for, for me, when I first started, yeah. when I first started bow hunting, yeah. you know, I, I yeah. small bucks and that first like really big buck I had in yeah. front of me and it was yeah. a 180 bike. I'm telling you right now. Yeah, right, 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 <laughs> um, right. I, I blew it. I mean, I absolutely yeah. blew it. I came unhinged yeah. and it was just kind of like you, you, you learn by doing things the wrong way. I mean, how yeah. is someone that's, that's been there, done that, you know, yeah. what, what do you do? What, that, that other you know, younger hunters could kind of latch on to? Well, well, let me first tell you a story. About 40 years ago, there was a guy, his name was Miles Keller, and you guys probably have never heard of him. But back in the 80s, 
he had killed more Pope and young whitetails than anybody. This was maybe early eighties, 82, 81, 82. But anyway, I was in a, a place, a, a, a sporting goods store in Columbus, Ohio called Vance's shooter supplies. And they had this guy in there for doing an Vance's in-store promotion. Us. Okay. Right. He was in, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. He was in the original Vance's on Cleveland Avenue. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, so anyway, I'm in there and, and uh, he's there doing this in-store promotion and, and, uh, I asked him, I said, Miles, I said, what do you, how do you, how do you, the exact question you just asked me? And uh, he said, well, he said, once you're around enough big bucks in your life, you'll learn to calm down. And since that time, 40 years later, I realized that he's full of baloney because <laughs> there is nothing, and I, I'm full of a lot of stuff, but, but there is nothing you can do to replicate the adrenaline rush. And so like when you talk, when you first start hunting, anything you when you make up your mind, you want to shoot a doe, whatever it is, that adrenaline rush that comes over, you can't duplicate it. You can't replicate it. And so how do you practice that? You can't. Now, you can get really good with your stuff. You can learn to be patient. The biggest mistake a lot of people make is they get in a hurry. They see a, they see a deer that they want to kill and they're like, oh, my God, I got to get an arrow in that direction or he's going to leave me. Where if they'd have just waited three more minutes or th 30 more seconds he would have gave him a perfect shot where, Hey, there are some times where that dirt turns. This has happened to me many times where I've waited for the perfect shot and the deer walked off, walked out of my life, but she would much rather have that happen than wound him. Can't find him, booger him up, whatever. You'd much rather let him walk off. I would much rather let him walk off than rush the shot. And so that's the, that's the experience factor, but the rush, the adrenaline rush that comes over you when you see something that you want to harvest, the, there's just no way to duplicate that. No, no, that's, so, that's, abs that's absolutely right. Like, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but let's just say that you go through what we'd consider a failed attempt, uh, whether it's a mm -hmm. shot, miss opportunity. I know I have, and then I sit there and dwell on it for days. Um, yeah. How do you, how would you get over something like that? I mean, because I think today's day and age, and we talk about hunter recruitment and different things, you know, everybody is yeah. no patience and everything just has yeah. to come. It has to work. And yeah. Instant gratification. Yeah. Exactly. As, yeah. So if you're trying to talk to the next generation and we all have young kids, that's a whole other mm -hmm. topic for you, but like, how do you just, obviously it's, it's a, it's a, a lesson in life that it, it doesn't always go, you know, as Disney world would have it or whatever, you know, it's not perfect that you, you have ups and downs, but uh, you have any advice on, on that side of things? Well, the thing about hunting, if, if, I mean, one of the problems with our society are, is participation trophies, right? I mean, now we don't keep track of score and, and you know, that, and, and that's, it, to me, that's, that's not a good thing. And so I used to tell my boys, and I still tell this, what, what makes a deer a trophy isn't so much as antler size as what did you have to do to get them? How much effort went into getting, that's what makes it a trophy. And so again, getting back to, we've not killed a, an arbitrary big buck in years, not saying that we wouldn't if a Boone and Crockett walked by, but there's usually a certain amount of effort that goes into it. And the more effort that goes into it, the more gratifying. So for example, the sticker time buck, what makes him, what I believe our most sought after trophy was everything that went into killing him. I mean, it was so much work and he was so smart and it took so much combination of you know, being lucky and putting ourselves or my son put himself in a position to get lucky and, you know, all that stuff. So, you know, what I would, what I would say, I, when my boys were little, I wanted hunting to be fun, 
I, you know what I'm saying? But I also wanted it to be challenging. If it make it, if it's too easy, then they just go play a video game or, or something else. There's got to be, there's got to be some effort put into it. It's got, you want it to be fun. You don't want to get them out there on, you know, you know, 28 degrees, sleet, rain, you know, that kind of stuff when it's miserable. You don't want to do that either. But on the flip side, if there's no challenge to it, then, then they lose interest. Yeah. So if, if I'm a, if I'm a public land deer hunter only, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, I've, I'm, I'm just, I've, I've been in a, a couple years. What's, what's the number one thing that I'm looking for to be successful in the woods? Is it, is it wind direction, you know, control, you know, is it finding food? Is it finding buck sign? If I'm going into a, into a, into an area that I hunt, it's only public. I get to deal with other people. What am I looking for to be, to have success? And it doesn't have to be, you know, 180 inch deer, mm-hmm. but it could be something that I'm happy with. What am I looking for as a hunter? Yeah. Well, well, first of all, a, a trophy is relative to where it was killed. Yeah. So, you know, a, a, a 180 inch deer in Ohio is, is the equivalent of 150 inch deer in Alabama or Georgia or Mississippi or, you know what I'm saying? So it's relative to the area. So again, it's, you know, it's, it's how many of them are out there and what are your reasonable chances of getting close to one? Um, as far as public land goes, a couple, a couple of uh, pieces of advice I give people first is, Everybody thinks that the, the best deer, the biggest deer all in the back are far away, as far away from the road as you can probably get or can possibly get. So everybody goes to the back and they meet up in the back. So a lot of times, some of the very best hunting is close, you know, or closer to the road than you'd think, or maybe in a, a, an overlooked place where, you know, you, you, the average person just walks right by it or, you know, trying to get clear in the back. Everybody thinks you got to wear off shoe leather to get to the best public hunting. And that's not necessarily the case because if everybody thinks that way, everybody goes there. That would be, that would be the first, you know, second would be, again, don't set your expectations so high that it's unrealistic. You know what I mean? Don't, don't set your heart on 180 inch to your public land because then you're going to get, you know, you're going to get very depressed because it's probably never going to happen. So pay, I would say set a realistic goal. You know, what, what would be a great deer that comes off of that area would be a one, whatever or a eight point or whatever it is, or just a mature buck, whatever that is. I mean, just killing a mature buck, a lot of times just, you know, uh, uh, 130 inch deer that's five years old, it's pretty doggone hard to get close to. Yeah. No, Mike, this, this has been, this has been a fantastic conversation. I've really, I really appreciate your time. And um, Corey months, you guys got anything else? <laughs> I like these, these off the wall questions. Okay. So what's one thing you don't leave home without when you're heading to the, to the stand, the woods. And I'm not talking about your weapon or whatever. Like, yeah. Ah, let me think about that for a second. The one's got to be that heated body suit that I read. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's gotta be it, right? Those things are worth their weight in gold when it's cold out. Are they, do you still, do you still use it? Oh gosh. Well, not, I I haven't hunted late season much recently, but when it does, yeah. I would have never bought one of those. Uh, a buddy of mine years ago let me borrow. He, he actually forced me to borrow one of his. And it was, oh, my gosh. I mean, those things, they, they are as advertised. It, Just like uh, I mean, you wear too many clothes. It can be it can be 20 degrees and stone sideways. You feel like you're in Bermuda. I mean, oh, it's, it, you can sit there for a long time in those things. They, they really do work. But uh, the one thing, it's probably saying, if I talking about equipment, I mean, a rangefinder is pretty important real important actually um i'm pretty superstitious so uh you know i i, I kind of i got some things that are good luck so i take like i've shot 
when I, when I shot a vertical bow up until a couple of years ago, I shot the same Scott caliper release for 40 years, same release. And uh, my bow, my compound bow was a 2004 Matthews that was given to me. I used to be on the hunter specialty staff and they used to give them to us. I'd get a new bow every year. I'd give it away because I'd killed several deer with that old bow and you know what? It, it worked. And so I just, I, 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 I walked slowly from success. Yeah. Awesome. That's good stuff, man. This has been, this has been great. I've really, I've really enjoyed it. And, and have you gotten out any this year or are you, uh, not yet. We, we were, I was hanging some stands and doing some stuff. We've got quite a few cameras out. So wait for it to cool down a little bit, but yeah. Good, good deal. Well, hopefully you keep us, keep us, uh, you know, let us know how the, how the season shakes out. So we'll, we'll stay we'll in do. contact, but I definitely, I want to get you on. I want to talk about deer density. Maybe that sounds sure. like something that would be cool to talk about, like in the middle of July, when there's you know, nothing yeah, else absolutely. to talk sure. about in, in, in turkey hunting. So I'd love to have you back on at some point. And, and uh, man, this has been great. So sounds great. Yep. Mike, thanks for your time, man. Yep. Good luck. No appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Guys. Thank you. Oh.